Hello, everybody, and welcome to the first episode of Radically Normal. I'm one of your co-hosts, Andre, and I'm here with Michael as we get ready to start our first episode, Diving In. Today, we're going to discuss some background on the book of Nehemiah, a little bit about who Nehemiah is, and also look into Nehemiah's prayer. I hope you enjoy the first episode. What's up, everybody, and welcome to the first official episode of Radically Normal. Hey guys, what's up? This is Michael here. And this is Andre. So I just wanted to say that, um, well, obviously we've been recording for a while today. We've been getting our intro ready and just trying to get a lot of material going um, just as fast as we can. We're really excited about this project, but it's really exciting to actually get into the first episode of Nehemiah, huh? Yeah, I'm really excited to get going. Yeah, dude. So I guess um, for everyone listening out there, uh, we've actually been like spending a lot of time getting this podcast ready to go and just get some ideas going and just studying Nehemiah and that kind of thing. But besides that, um, what's really been going on during this time for you, dude? Well, outside of studying Nehemiah and just leading some Bible studies in Genesis on the side, I've been trying to get back into the LSAT grind, but not going super well. However, more excitingly, last week I got to travel to Alabama and spend some time with some friends uh, over on the beach and Gulf Shores. So that was that was pretty fun. What are you taking the LSAT, my dude? So that's July 13th, so I got a little bit under two months from when we're recording this, uh, but I'm feeling feeling okay about it. Just need to get back to studying. Man, that's coming up pretty soon, especially with all this podcast work, but you know, we'll get that we'll get that under control eventually. Um, uh, speaking of travel, dude, next week I'm actually going to Florida to get a little bit of work done down in Tampa, so that'll be pretty cool too. Yeah, that'll be fun. Maybe you can hit the beach. What's actually really funny about talking about travel now that I think about it is a couple weeks ago... Andre and I and a couple other friends were supposed to, we were going to buy some flights to go to Phoenix this week. In fact, right now, instead of recording this, we should be in Phoenix um, in the 105 degree weather, hopefully at the pool. But, uh, man, you know, 91 sounds a little better now compared to that 105. (laughs) Yeah, quite a bit better. So we should be at the pool there, but the flights went up from $37 to about 200. So we're in the studio instead. That's what, that's how it is, man. Well, let's, uh, let's go ahead and just like jump into a little bit of background on our first um, season, which is going to be about Nehemiah, as you guys know. Uh, hopefully you tune into the intro f- from the two of us, just gives a little background about who we are and what our goals are and what our hopes are for this podcast. Um, so I guess it being the official first episode, this is a good time to install our first segment, which will come um, every single time that we start a new, cha- a new book of the Bible. Um, we're going to give Michael two minutes and he's going to have... Michael's history lesson. During this time, he's going to try to give us as much biblical uh, history of background as he can without boring us. And at two minutes, <laughs> I will be setting a timer on my phone and you guys will be alerted that the time has run out and it is time to move on into the actual book that we're going to be studying. So uh, let me pull out my phone and give you two minutes, my friend, and let's see how you can do on your first try. All right, man. Pretty excited. Hopefully I can be concise here. All right. Two minutes and just let me know when you're ready, man. Yeah, go for it. All right, you're on the clock. Okay, so obviously there's a lot we could cover here, just going back through Genesis and just starting at creation. But what's really important to signify is that, you know, starting in Exodus, you really have the people of Israel journeying to the promised land. But uh, due to some economics issues, which is kind of interesting as an econ major, due to some economics issues, Israel actually splits up into two kingdoms, Israel in the north and Judah in the south. And in the 700s BC, Israel was absorbed by the Assyrians, who were super powerful worldwide. Um, Picture them as the United States of the day um, or the Romans of the first century. 
but they were absorbed then. But then for another 150 years, the southern kingdom Judah continued to exist independently with their own king, their capital, and the holy city of Jerusalem. So it wouldn't be until um, just getting into the 500s BC that Judah was taking up, taken up into captivity. So God continued, or because of their sin, God used Babylon as a way to judge Israel for their sin. And there were several times where the Jews were taken captive by Babylon. So um, under King Nebuchadnezzar II, Jehoiakim was forced into submission. And then the same thing with Jehoiachin. And then that was in that's near the end of Second Kings. And then you see that uh, King Zedekiah, who's appointed by Nebuchadnezzar, basically tries to lead a rebellion. Uh, but that doesn't go well for him either. So Jerusalem is pretty much laid to waste. And that's kind of the state of Jerusalem as we get into this story. And what's good about this is we have God's people here that we're going to study about in Nehemiah that Nehemiah is so passionate about. And God's going to redeem his people. God's going to eventually judge Babylon for their own sin. And what I think is important to learn in this history lesson and why this is significant for us is that this is our story. As God's people, this is part of our story too. So it's interesting and important to know our history. And it looks like I have just a few seconds left. Um, so I just wanted to say that we're beginning right here around 538 BC in Ezra. And then for Nehemiah, Nehemiah is going to go to Jerusalem in 445 BC. Hey, man. You may- oh, there it goes. And you just about made it. So that's a good... Um, indicator that two minutes is about right. Um, I am glad that we picked the right timing because we did not rehearse that beforehand. <laughs> so that's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, let's let's uh, get a little bit into themes and some other stuff to expect from this whole book as a whole. So one thing I want to add right there that I wish I could have fit in the two minutes is just about is just about the writing. So there's a lot of questions on you know did Ezra write Ezra? Did Nehemiah write Nehemiah? What actually seems to be the best takeaway here about the authorship is that the person who wrote First and Second Chronicles, who we just know as the Chronicler, was actually the main author of Ezra and Nehemiah and put together lots of different, say, first person and other sources to uh, put all these texts together. So that's all I got to say on the author. But what do you have for us on Nehemiah? Um, what do you think we should know about him? I mean, aside from just who the author was, I mean, I think it's important to know um, Nehemiah, he was a good leader. Um, he had an important job. He was a cupbearer for the king. Um, obviously, he was in captivity, but the king trusted him uh, greatly. His role was to um, taste test all of the drinks and the food that the king was going to eat, which obviously this is a really important job because if anything is poisoned, Nehemiah is going to die and then the king isn't going to die, um, I guess, unless if it's a long term poison or something. But uh, yeah, I mean, that's he was he had a really important job and um, he really cared about his people, um, people of God. So, yeah. Yeah. One thing I just I, I really like what you said there about how. Um, he'd basically put his life on the line to test the wine and the food because nowadays we might think if someone was going to do that, even paid to do that, that sounds really like a slave or a servant's work. But back then, that would have given him a lot of authority and a lot of good money. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, he was in captivity, but he he was in an, a very important role. Um, just based on themes that we're going to see in Nehemiah, I guess Michael and I can both give give you guys a couple that we picked up on as we started studying. But for me, it's uh, renewal of faith. Obviously, at the very beginning, we see Nehemiah um, pray to God. He's repenting for his sins and the sins of his people. Um, he's really renewing the faith um, for himself and for everyone else and trying to really rebuild the wall that we're going to see as well. Uh, what's your first one, Mike? Yeah, so I think one of the more interesting ones, just as I was looking at it, was 
um, and I was reading Ezra too, just to kind of think through this, but how there's actually more of a theological than um, say scientific or chronological view of history in the book. So like in Ezra seven, we see a 50 year jump. And then in Nehemiah seven, there's questions on time connections and how the work is linked together. So what's significant here is basically that um, putting together Ezra and Nehemiah, the author isn't as concerned with just chronological flow to year to year, but how God is working through the time in all of these things. All right, my next one is going to be um, Nehemiah overcoming odds. So throughout we see that um, no one really thinks he can build the wall. No one really thinks the king's given him the authority to go and do that. But, you know, he overcomes the odds and he prays about it. And God, he asked God to give um, him favor and to give him success. So, yeah, overcoming odds is my second one, dude. What's your second one? Well, I really want to go off that because for me, I think that when we... When he's overcoming odds, he's continually appealing to God who's in charge. So he's going to say at the end of Nehemiah 1 here when we dive in, he's just going to say, give me success with the king in the next chapter when he has a conversation with him about going back to Jerusalem to build the wall. Um, And just thinking about how um, in this idea of restoration and overcoming the odds, Nehemiah is really going to focus in on continuity, continuing the faith of the forefathers, whether that be Abraham or Moses, continuing that faith. in Jerusalem, in that holy place, and emphasizing the role of the law, the role of love in the people's relationship with their and our God. My last one is going to be the power of prayer and reformation. Uh, I think that's all I really got for themes. I don't know if you got anything else. No, that's really all I had, actually, but I was really listening to something the other day, um, and uh, a pastor nearby, his name's Tommy Nelson, he, he talked about how every true believer is a reformer, how we abandon false beliefs about God, and we go back to ancient truths about God. So this is, this is really a focus on how Nehemiah is going to reform, how he's going to abandon the way of the exile, what brought them into exile, call them back to the way of repentance and humility before God. And this is the same thing that's true for us. We're, we're abandoning all these things that were false in our lives, um, that the that the devil is tempting us with, and we're going to turn to these truths about Nehemiah, these truths about Scripture, and most importantly about Jesus. All right, so now that we got a little bit of background out of the way, um, it's time to actually get into the first chapter of Nehemiah. Um, we're aiming for about twenty to twenty-five, maybe even thirty-minute episodes, typically. So we're going to see about how far we can get. We want it to just flow pretty nicely. We're not really going to go verse by verse, but we are going to try to go in order, and we have a few bullet points of notes that we want to make sure we cover. Uh, but besides that, if we go on any tangents, you know, let's just see where the conversation goes. Yeah, for sure. Uh, let's just kind of kick off with a question, actually. I, I hadn't planned on this, but as we get into this into this book of Nehemiah, it's just important to tell everyone that, you know, if you haven't studied it before, that's okay. We just want to come prayerful to God about this. And then second, we're going to see Nehemiah, uh, for the most of the time, be spending a lot of time with this wall. And then we're going to see him restore covenant. But would you just have anything to, to say maybe to people who hadn't read it and are wondering, nowadays, you know, Dallas flows right into Fort Worth, for instance, or Norman flows right into more to Oklahoma City. But back then, like, why was a wall significant? Why would a city have a wall? Like, that, that that's pertinent to the story, I feel like. Back in the days, most of the cities had walls, and it was to display might and glory. Um, they represented just a, a good city typically had a wall and it, it would paralleled, um, God's glory as well of the city and his favor on the city and not having a wall as Jerusalem did not have a wall at the time or Jerusalem's wall was obviously broken down. This showed dishonor. It showed weakness. It showed that the people uh, were not living how God wanted them to live. That's kind of what I saw from listening to a couple of things and reading around. 
Yeah, for sure. What's actually really interesting about that is in the Proverbs, it says in Proverbs 25, verse 28, a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. So here we see the significance of, hey, if somebody doesn't have self-control, they're like a city that doesn't have a wall. So this this wall is really central to um, the city of Jerusalem, and that's what the Proverbs are talking about as well. That sounds good. So I guess now we're ready for just start with about verse one, go through. I guess just looking at the first couple of verses, the first thing that comes to mind is what it really means by the 20th year kind of thing in the first verse. I know obviously it's the king's 20th year of rule, but do you got anything else to say about that, Mr. History Nerd? <laughs> yeah, we uh, we might keep going back to history over here on my end of the mic. But what's actually interesting is, yeah, this is the 20th year of Artaxerxes' rule. Really complicated name. You know what, man? I can't even say that name. I'm not <laughs> even going to try this whole time. Hey, one of the tips besides just looking up how to pronounce it, if you come across a name in the Bible that looks really confusing... It's going to come off all the more better if you just say it with confidence. Even if you're wrong, nobody else is going to uh, have the pride to correct you on that one. Hey man, uh, you know, I'll, maybe I'll give it a try at the end of the episode, but <laughs> as of right now, let's just lay it back on, on your history. So this is the 20th year of Artaxerxes rule, like you said. But what's interesting is like you'd be thinking, okay, this is the 20th year. What's been going on before this for him? So as the king, he's actually had a lot of trouble up to this point with revolts and rebellions. Uh, he had a revolt from his brother, um, a, a revolt due to nationalism. There was a lot of instability up to this point. Um, there was another rebellion just three years before we see Nehemiah really introduced in this story. Um, so yeah, that's pretty much what I'd say about the 20th year. Just that Artaxerxes hasn't had like a super easy time, but that as we kind of get into the story with Nehemiah, you see that Nehemiah is from Jerusalem, which is in the, in the region of Judah. And this is uh, significant politically for Persia, which is where the king is from, because they're close to uh, Judah's bordering Egypt, and Egypt is really unstable and um, politically helpful. So it was helpful that the Persians and the Jews were had a good relationship, just because that was politically helpful for Persia. Now, now you said he's from Jerusalem. I know he's one of God's people, obviously, but um, I, I think I remember that it said he had actually never been there and had never actually met his people or didn't really know anything about them. Um, at the time he started praying for them. So kind of like clarify that a little bit for me. Right. Yeah. So he's, he's born into captivity. So, uh, one, one thing that I heard is that he's not in any way like responsible for the people's sin or anything. He's not, he was never born into the, into Jerusalem, into the Holy city. And so what we're going to see here is, um, again, I'm just going to go back to what Tommy Nelson said, and I think the same sermon, but he said that Nehemiah basically has a heavenly homesickness. And I think that's really good because Jerusalem's the holy city of the people of Judah, and he has a real heart for that place, and he has a real heart for the people that had survived this exile under Babylon. One other interesting thing I hadn't really thought about until now, but you're saying kind of their country and the kingdom is kind of in a little bit of turmoil I'm like guessing that the trust that the king has for his servants and who's like around him, especially someone in such an important role such as Nehemiah, that kind of like just shows you like how much of an elevated trust he had for Nehemiah, right? Yeah, it definitely shows um, the trust he had. It definitely shows um, we're going to see this conversation that Andre's kind of hinting about in chapter two, but it really shows uh, not only the trust he had in Nehemiah, but the trust that Nehemiah had in God because he's going to pray continually just for success. Um, for the ability to converse with Artaxerxes about what he needs to say. And this is kind of a random time to throw this in, but just going back to uh, the history section, uh, one thing I'll, one thing that's worth noting is that this is the king of Persia. 
And so when I was talking about the exile at the beginning, I was talking about Babylon. So Babylon was the most powerful rule or the, the king of Babylon was the most powerful ruler of the day when they were taken into exile, but God had prophesied through, say, Isaiah and Daniel. So if you open up your Bible, Nehemiah comes before Isaiah and Daniel if you're just reading through, but it's after, it's actually after it in time. So God had prophesied that um, he was going to raise up a king, specifically uh, King Cyrus of Persia, to lead, to take over Babylon and then to say, hey, you can go back to Jerusalem, to your holy city. So starting in Ezra, we see thousands of people going back and back to the land of Judah, to Jerusalem. So how God raises up this king so that they might be free and go back to worship him in this place is really important. So I guess the next thing is Nehemiah hears what's going on in Jerusalem. He hears of their sin and he, it says that he, <clears throat> he instantly sat down and wept and mourned for days. Um, and it says he fasted and prayed to God. I thought that was really interesting just cause he like, you could like really see like how compassionate of a person he is. He doesn't really know these people and he still feels like such love and compassion for them that he starts crying and he feels as if he even says actually as if he is repenting for their sins and he knows that he has his own sins as well, but he feels bad for the whole situation and he wants to be the one to kind of like make this right and figure out what he's going to do about it. Yeah, I don't want to make too much of a leap here, but uh, uh, when you said that, I kind of thought about, so he's caring for these people he might not have even met, but they're still part of his family in, in a heavenly or eternal sense. In the same way, we have brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world right now who are persecuted for their faith, who have just been going through a hard time. Maybe the quarantine has changed something for them and how they can worship, and that's changed how we can worship and gather too. So I think that we can kind of resonate with, you know, he might not know these people or have ever met them, or they might be back in Jerusalem and not have a wall and they might've just built that temple in Ezra. But at the same time, like we can really resonate with that idea of he hasn't met them, but they're part of the family and he loves them in the same way. We love our brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world, even though we've never met them. It kind of reminds me like just like a deep friendship, like maybe not even the two of us, maybe is one example, but maybe just like the compassion and love of a mother or even a father that whenever you do something wrong or something bad happens, like you kind of want to run to them because you know, like no matter what, man, they're going to like, they're going to want to like just embrace you, hug you, help you figure out a solution. And I think that's kind of what's going on here. It's really cool that he has that deep connection to the, to his people. Yeah. I like that he has this deep, I like, I like that you point out the deep connection with his people that he identifies with them. He doesn't just repent for their sins, but for his, his houses as well. He says, even I and my father's house have sinned. That's in verse six. But what's also interesting here, um, like I usually know if something's wrong, like let's say my class schedule seems messed up, which it kind of is right now, I immediately want to just go and solve the problem. But to Nehemiah, he sees a problem and he isn't just running to, to fix the wall right away. He's going straight to his knees in prayer. So let's talk about a little bit about the prayer, like kind of give us the high, just give us the highlights, short highlights of kind of what he's doing there. So I, I really like the introduction. He's going to say, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love. So um, you're going to constantly see, as we just talk a little bit through the prayer, um, he it's, it's obvious that Nehemiah knows the Old Testament. Nehemiah knows the scriptures. He knows the law. He references the servant Moses. He references God's name dwelling with his people. He references um, or he echoes like the story of Exodus 
um, earlier in time in Israel's history. So he really knows the Bible, and that's going to drive his prayer. And so what's interesting about that is he's going to talk about obedience. He's going to talk about God's love. He's going to confess sin. These are just lots of themes in here. But just one other significant one that maybe we hadn't mentioned is basically he's saying, God, remember, you said if you're if we're unfaithful, you're going to scatter us among the people. So the power of sin just to this that leads to them being scattered among the nations that leads to judgment. And so when I think of my own life, I really think back to um, just sins that I've walked in in the past, whether that be um, pride or lust or anything like that. But um, one thing that we introduced in the first episode was um, just our friendship, and we've been able to be good accountability partners. So when we're thinking about sin, because sometimes it's like right here, it seems like Nehemiah knows he sinned, knows knows that it's there, but sometimes we, we're blind to our own sin. We can't see it. So how would you say, like, if somebody can't see their sin, you've been good about this with me, how would you approach them and maybe talk to them about their sin? If they're a brother in Christ or a sister in Christ who's who you're close to. I think, I think the key is sometimes that just not pointing it out to just anyone, but it has to be someone who you really care about. You know, like, obviously, if you really care about the person, you really care about their success, even if it's something that has to do with uh, biblical applications or living... Christian life, or if it's just going through your everyday life, like it might just be studying for your classes or trying harder in something or whatever it may be. If it's someone you really care about, they're going to be more likely to, to take it to heart and really say like, wow, this person actually cares about me. They could see somewhere where I could improve on. And if you have a heart to heart with them, man, about relationships, about uh, college life, um, just whatever it may be, um, what you think God is calling them to do, they might be more likely to listen to it and just take it to heart. That's kind of where I think. Actually, one thing about what we already talked about was that I wanted to point out was how you pointed out that Nehemiah knew God's word and he used it to pray God's promises. And one really cool thing about that is the importance of really diving into the word. And even if it's something that you aren't comfortable with doing, it's something that's really easy to just start anywhere, right? Sometimes they say, oh, you start in, start in one of the gospels, right? And for me, I know a difficult thing for me and something I've asked Mike about is like, oh man, I really wish I could like start memorizing verses. And it's something to this day I haven't even started trying to really um, do consistently. But just starting anywhere, last fall it was both of us went through a couple books of the Bible and just texted each other every single day and just made sure like, hey man, you're still reading. And sometimes it was the, oh man, today was a busy day and I didn't get to it, but I'm going to try to catch up tomorrow or hey man, this weekend's going to be really busy with baseball or with um, activities or whatever it may be. And like, I'm going to get a, get a little ahead or I'll catch up on Sunday or what did you get from this? We even ended up inviting some other of our friends to just see how it would go. And that was a really cool experience. And just Mike's always been someone who when anyone who texts him or calls him or whatever and says, hey man, I'm dealing with this or I feel bad about this or this is something going on in my life. He typically, you typically have a couple of verses that, you know, like, Hey, read this tonight. Look at this. This might be helpful to you. And it just really showed me that despite that being one of not being one of my strengths, having someone in your life who does know a lot of scripture is definitely like very powerful. And a lot of times people think it can only be a pastor or be your parents or something like that, but it could be, it could be you. You can start anywhere, you know, start reading a few verses a day, maybe a chapter a day is what I try to do. Uh, obviously I'm, not the most consistent. I mess up. I forget to do it sometimes, but just as long as the good intention and the good motives are there that you want to do it, it'll really make a big difference 
and like kind of like just like your whole faith journey. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, thank you so much just for uh, just pointing out just uh, maybe just things about memorizing scripture and then just thanking me for uh, sending some verses. But I think just going along with that, man, if you if people are constantly coming to you or things are constantly happening in your own life or in people's around you and you just really want to point them to verses um, about certain topics, it can be helpful to say write down verses about certain topics. But if I'm being honest, I would never start with, you know, seek out verses on specific topics. Just dive into God's word. Dive in. If you've never read anything, dive into the gospel of John. Dive into Genesis. Start with the beginning of the whole story. But start somewhere. Start reading. Read through a book of the Bible. Learn. Take notes. Don't don't read um, just so you can say you got through the Bible. Read so that you understand. So if eight verses of understanding is way better than five chapters and you're confused on half the stuff. So, you know, ask questions, read in community like Andre was talking about. You know, we set up a reading plan for a group of six of us, and we're all at different colleges, but thanks thanks to God's provision in, in uh, technology, we were able to communicate about all that. So just dive into the Word, start reading, um, and, and God's going to bless you with that. I think kind of as we come to a close of our time that we have, like, a lot for ourselves, I guess, and as we get towards the end of chapter one, I guess the last thing is that um, we know because we read on, but just spoiler alert, I guess that God did have favor and he did set a way for Nehemiah to get, um, to reform and to help his people. So obviously God really loved, God really loved Nehemiah. He loved what Nehemiah wanted to do. He, um, came through on his promises. And I think that's something that's really big for our lives that no matter how big or small, um, the promises of God are, he's going to come through with those. Um, he's going to be there for us. He loves us. That's like something that's really comforting. That I guess you hear that all the time, man, but I, I guess that's like a good place um, to end chapter one, if you have any thoughts about that. Yeah, I just want to add one more thing, I think. Um, I think that when people, and this is myself included, whenever we open a book, we can think, okay, there's X amount of books in the Bible, 66, and this is just one of those books. But it, it'd almost be better to just think of the Bible as one whole book, and you're just reading sections of it at a time that all fit together. So one thing that I constantly want to return to is just that Nehemiah is one part of this larger story that's going on. So um, when he says in verse 11, O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. This is this prayer to God is laying the foundation for this entire story of Nehemiah that's had connections to the past and connection that has connections to the gospel. That we rely, instead of relying on our own obedience, we know that we can rely on Christ's obedience, that it's God's steadfast love that Nehemiah mentions in his prayer that establishes God's relationship with his people, that we've turned from him in sin and he has drawn us back in by his love. And we see this from Genesis 1 to the end of the Bible and Revelation 22, that God has placed us all in some sense in the world as exiles, just like God's people were in the Old Testament. And similarly, um, he is going to call us out of that exile in this broken world. Like when Jesus is saying, you know, the world is going to hate you because of my name. God is going to call us out of this temporary exile, you might say, and place us in a eternal kingdom where his glory and his name reigns. And we're never going to have to worry about sin and death anymore one day. So I think that just that the idea that we can place us in the larger story is something I want to come, come back to. So do you have anything you might add to that? Um, no, I think you said that pretty pretty well. I don't, I don't really think I have anything else to add just to that, but 
I would say that it is it is really cool to know that it kind of all fits together. Not everyone reads all the books of the Bible in order, or the chronological order is not even the same as the actual order. So it's it's nice to know how it all fits together. And um, we might laugh about history not being really fun to know or whatever, but it is it is nice to have that information and to know how it all fits. Yeah. So if you're just kind of looking for something like man, I would love to read one chapter in the New Testament that really just ties this all together for me. Uh, Consider Hebrews 11. So in Hebrews 11, um, the author of Hebrews is going to kind of talk about how a lot of people in the Old Testament were in exile and they had a faith in God's promise. And so um, he'll say um, in verse 16, they desired a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God for he has prepared for them a city. That there's the city beyond Jerusalem that Nehemiah is thinking about, a heavenly city in which God's name is is reigning and ruling. So um, I just want to offer that hope to anyone today. If you um, are just struggling with, you know, what, however the quarantine has affect your life, affected your life, if you're thinking about, you know, your upcoming semesters, your upcoming job, whatever that might be, um, for those of us in Christ, God has prepared a heavenly city that will blow away whatever you look out, whatever you see when you look out the window. Sounds good. I mean, got anything else or... No, that's about it. I'm ready to uh, maybe log off here and get another cup of coffee. But I hope everyone listening enjoyed it and got something out of it. Um, I think because the history lesson was in there, this might be one of our longer episodes. But in the future, this is kind of the same format you can expect. Our next episode is going to be Nehemiah chapter 2. And in between there, uh, you can expect to have some other episodes maybe about theology or maybe some interviews. We'll see what we got. Um, obviously, we're just starting out, so we don't have many things lined up yet. But... We're going to get there. We're trying to grow. We're trying to reach as many people as possible. So we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for tuning in to Radically Normal.